Welcome and thank you for joining us online for this week's message. We're currently in our series, The Inner Workings of Worship, where we're focusing on the Apostles' Creed. You can find previous messages in this series on our website or on the Christchurch app, which is available on iOS and Android devices. You can also follow us on Facebook and at CCGF01 on Instagram and Twitter. So, without further ado, here's our senior pastor, Jared Ott, with the fourth installment in our series. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Christ Church. Uh, I want to say one word about camp here. It is really great that camp was here uh, at Christ Church all week. What a, what a phenomenal week it was. Uh, to be able to have this property used all over the place throughout the week was just incredible. There were kids everywhere. Uh, whether they were down here in Wilson Hall, whether they were uh, downstairs, they were outside. Uh, we had a slip and slide out by the farmhouse. Robbie did a great job with that. Uh, first for the little kids, it was a little slower. Then by the big kids, he put baby oil all over that uh, that thing. Kids started going down a little too quick, uh, hitting the hay bales a little hard. We thought, maybe want to cut that off a bit, but I was wondering why their skin felt so good. So we thought, ah, it's, you know, it's, it's a two for one. So we appreciate Bobby, Robbie doing that. It was really great to be able to have that. And I, it was great to have those kids everywhere. I know on Friday too, uh, I, w- I was in my office and I was talking with a guy and, and uh, he was going through some tough times. He was kind of getting a little emotional and I look out my window. He couldn't see it, but my, my office is in the farmhouse and the, the kids are outside, outside my window. And uh, they were like trying to get my attention, throwing things at my window. And one kid tried to grab another kid, put him on his shoulders. And I'm thinking, do I pay attention to the, the lawsuit that's about to happen outside, or do I pay attention to this guy? So I'm kind of doing both. So he didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't notice. But it was really great. It was great to see all the leaders. I really got to thank the leaders. You know, on Monday, it's so fascinating to see all the high school and adult leaders, middle school leaders here. All kinds of energy. You know, they're ready to go. And then by Friday, they come in, and they're like dead on the floor. And they got marker all over their faces and their shirts. It's just, they put their life and soul and body into this week. But Donna's right. It's not just about having fun. In fact, we had so much fun that my daughter, who was in camp, hid in Wilson Hall when I came to get her because she didn't want to leave camp. So I couldn't find her. So um, I attempted to leave her here, but I didn't. I got her. Uh, so, so much fun. But... The idea, though, was people came to Christ. People came to Christ. It wasn't just about having fun. People, the, those kids are going to remember Christ Church at Grove Farm, June 2016, as the, the time that really changed their life. And we're part of that. Our church has been able to open up to have that here. So it's great. So I want to thank all the leaders. I want to thank all the, the people that were involved in the process. It was a, it was a fun week. And uh, it's exciting to see what God uses our property for around here at Christ Church. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for today. Thank you for the fact that uh, we can be here. We can have this property. That we can, uh, you could use this so mightily for you. We thank you for those campers that gave their lives to Christ. I pray that they remember the commitment they made. Father, that they'll always look back and say, you know, this was the day, no matter what's going on in life, this was the day I put my faith and trust in you. Oh, Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for those leaders that were here. Father, thank you for what you teach us in your word, Father. You teach us so much, Father. And we give you all the praise and glory. And as we learn about the creeds and what they are to us, the foundations of what we believe, Father, I pray that you impress upon us what we need to hear this morning. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, Father, and that you aren't just, don't just make us hear the, of the word, but we will be doers of the word as well, Father. We thank you for that. I ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
was, uh, as you see here, we're in the series, Inner Workings of Worship, where we're going through the various aspects of what we do on Sunday mornings. Because no matter what ministries we have here, no matter what we do in the future with camps or ministries or missions, we're always going to do things on Sunday morning that are the same. We're always going to be talking about the creeds. We're always going to be saying what we believe. We're always going to have time of worship and, and prayer and giving. And we're always going to have regular times of communion and baptisms. So we're going through the creeds. So you're not just saying these words, but you actually believe it as well. What I want to do is something a little unconventional that we don't normally do. I'd like you to take out your service sheets. If you have your service sheets... And turn to the front cover where it has the title. And the title of this sermon is, I Believe He Died and Was Buried. Now, on Wednesday, I took that title and I gasped. I thought, that is probably one of the worst titles I could think of. Because what it says is that we do not serve a living God. That Christ died and was buried. In fact, I had uh, uh, the person that sends out a weekly email on Fridays telling everybody, you know, what's happening here at Christ Church, said, hey, well, Jerry, we got a problem. Because in the email, it was going to say, sermon title, I believe he was died and was buried with Jared Ott. And we thought, that is terrible. <laughs> and I gasped because I thought, well, most of us would assume that we're going to talk about the resurrection. But what if somebody leaves this place, drops their service sheet out in the parking lot, and some, somebody in the community go, picks it up and goes, oh, they believe in Jesus Christ who's dead and buried. We serve a living God. That's why we do our checks. That's, we missed it this week. We missed it on Tuesday when we checked the service sheet. I think all the staff, we just kind of overlooked it. That's why we do our checks. We, we uh, want to make sure the service sheet's in order and uh, that we are, everything that's in there is what we say and believe. I know a few years back we had a sermon series on uh, stewardship and the title was uh, What We Give. And I remember the closing song happened to be I Surrender All. And we thought, no, that's not going to work for a title for a song for that. I do know of a pastor... Uh, years ago, who was retiring after four years from his church, and uh, his in the service sheet, the uh, sermon title was "A Farewell Message," and the closing song was "Break Forth into Joy." So, uh, again, we want to make sure the service sheet's correct. But it's important because you have to understand that you know we obviously are taking apart the creed and we're and we're going phrase by phrase. But we got to understand that it's not just about his death and burial, but it's about his resurrection. Because if it's not about that, everything else falls apart. That's why it's so critical that we understand that when we say, I believe he died and was buried, he rose again. It changes everything. It changes everything. Last week we had, a, if you were here, we had a wonderful message by Matthew Rivers. Uh, Matthew Rivers is a student at Trinity. And a phenomenal guy, if you were here. And he talked about the power of just saying Jesus Christ and the peace that comes. It was a phenomenal message. I had so many folks come up and say how great of a message that was. In fact, I had someone come up to me after the service. I try not to get offended by this, but uh, they came up to me and said, Jared, thank you so much for bringing in Matthew Rivers. He's exactly what we needed on Sunday mornings. And I thought, hmm. (laughs) Amen to that, I guess. God, God bless you. Uh, but he, it was, he was phenomenal. And one of the things he alluded to, and a lot of people ask, like, what's his story? Cause I, and I think he's, he's okay with me sharing this with you cause he shared it with many of us, uh, over the past, uh, year or so. Instead of a rags to riches story, Matthew's story is the other way around. It's more of a riches to rags type of a story. He was a very wealthy, wealthy guy. He had a lot of properties and lost it all. And he alluded to last week about how he was homeless, living at the church in, on a bench at the church uh, down in uh, South Carolina where he was. And God really spoke to him. 
And I remember meeting with Matthew for three hours at Eaton Park. We were there so long, I thought we could have breakfast and lunch. But we were meeting so long, he was telling me the story, and it was just overwhelming what God has done to him. And he said, he said he went on a fast because he really wanted God to speak to him. He said, uh, he said I went on a 60-day fast. He said, you want God to speak to you in 30 days, he'll speak to you in 30-day fast. You want God to really show up, do a 60-day fast. God really showed up. And everything that Matthew is and does and says is because of what Christ has done for him. It's, it's a change. It's an effect that it's had on him. That's why Paul says the same thing. If you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. This grace to me was not without effect. Let me ask you this morning. For those of you who know and love the Lord as your personal Savior, does it affect you? And would people know it? Would people know it by looking at you, who you are, what you do, what you say, and how you believe it? Would they see an effect? With Matthew, they see an effect. I hope that myself, as you look at Pastor Robbie, other pastors here, our worship team, that you see an effect. Because of what Christ did. He changed his lives. Because he took away the sin in our lives. And he wiped it clean. And he paved a way for us to have eternal life with him in heaven. That's why verse 1 says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, to which you, to which you received and on which you have taken your stand, it says. It's the core of the gospel. Verse 3, for I received, I pass on you as first importance that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. Then he appeared, and then he appeared to all these other people, it says. It's what we take our stand on. It's everything that we do and say here. If he didn't rise again, we'd be in big trouble because, and we're going to talk about that, what it looks like. What would it look like if Christ didn't actually rise again? It's the core of the gospel. It's everything that we believe. That's why we stand here and do what we do. And then it talks about, uh, in the the passage, it talks about coming up to Peter and the disciples and then to James and the 500 others. And it shows evidence for that. And somebody asked, why did they separate Peter from the disciples? Wasn't Peter already a disciple? Well, remember, Peter was the one that denied Christ three times. Denied him three times, and then Christ came back and restored him. Christ came to him first and said, Peter, do you love me? I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? So Peter is singled out as a guy who has second chances. Some of you have been denying Christ all your life. You may come in and say the creeds, but you don't really believe it. You just say it because everybody else is saying it. Maybe today's your day for a second chance. These kids up here have the opportunity this week to be able to confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But it's not just about declaring it. It's about believing in your hearts. One of the best passages, and I want to encourage you to memorize it. It's a very simple passage. The question is, is how do you know you're saved? How do you know you're saved? Romans 10, Paul says it here. Romans 10, verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The question is for you this morning is, not only are you going to declare it, but do you believe it? People ask all the time, how do you become saved? That's the verse you use. We were, uh, last week we were in the Dominican Republic. And it was, a, it was a great opportunity for us to be there. We did a lot of different ministries. You'll be hearing about that in the weeks to come. But one of the things we had the opportunity to do was go from house to house. And these folks had nothing. I mean, it was no water, no electricity, garbage on the street, dogs running around, cats, chickens, everything you can think of running around. Sewage everywhere. It was a mess. 
we were able to go in these people's homes, and what we did was we just came in and said, we've come on behalf of Jesus Christ who loves us and loves you as well. And people would just break down into tears. Because they felt no one loves them. They, everybody, they, they have nothing. And so they figure the whole world is abandoned. They have nothing. And I remember one lady, we went into her house, and she just, come on in, come on in. She's saying in Spanish. And so a group of us went in, and we said, we come on half of Jesus Christ who loves you. And, and the woman said in Spanish, and we had an interpreter there, said, I want to know who this Jesus is. How do I become saved? How do I, how do I, how do I come to know who Jesus is? And we were able to say this verse. It's as simple as, do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Do you believe in your heart? Yes, I do. Do you want to pray that prayer? Yes, I want to pray that prayer. Pray with it right then and there. It's as simple as that. It's powerful. So when we say the creeds, one of the things we say is, we say that, but do you believe it in your heart? Now the question of, why does it matter how much we believe in the resurrection? The resurrection really has an impact on us. And we don't know it until we read the next few verses. It's not on your service sheet, so I'm going to pull it up right here. What would happen if, if the resurrection didn't occur? What would that be like? It doesn't look good. Let me read it. 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 12. We're at 11. Here's to verse 12. It says, but if it, preach, but if it is preached that Christ has not been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. So is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him. But he did not raise him. In fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who are also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, for all people must be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. So if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, this is what we get. A lot of bad stuff in there. A lot of negatives. Let me tell you. Six of them. Six of them. And what we're going to do is I want to tell you these six so you can walk out of here going, hey, here's the positives of knowing that, believing that Christ rose from the dead. This is how it impacts me. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to underline these. Verse 14. Six things that would be a problem if Christ had not been, not rise from the dead. If he just was died and was buried. First, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is useless, it says. Everything we say, everything we do, useless. Going down the Dominican Republic and telling those people, useless. Telling those kids at camp about Christ Jesus and how he died and rose again, useless. Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless. Number two, so is our faith. Everything we believe in, everything that we have hope in, everything that we have faith in, useless. Verse 14. Verse 15. Number three, moreover than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we testify about God that he raised Christ from the dead. So if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, now we're all false witnesses. We're those people on TV going, that person's crazy. He's talking about something that didn't even happen. We're all false witnesses. Number four, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then our faith is futile and you're still in your sins. We're still in our sins. There's no hope. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That would be it. Number five, if Christ hasn't been raised, those who have fallen asleep are lost. If Christ wasn't raised, funeral services would be very, very sad. Because we would go, nope, no hope. That's it. There'd be no hope. We'd go, you know what? This is the best life that we could have now, and that's it. That's it. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Number six, if Christ not been raised, then all people, it says, would be pitied. Would be pitied. We'd be pitied. 
because we believe in something that wasn't even real. So in order to understand that, there's a lot of negatives to understanding Christ didn't rise from the dead. So what are the positives? What are the positives? So when we say the creeds, we can walk out with our heads held high. It's so vital to what we believe and how we live our lives. So we're going to go through them quickly. Because Christ died and rose again, first, our sins are forgiven. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful news? Our sins are forgiven. We've got to start there. Because if our sins aren't forgiven, then there is absolutely no hope. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And for the wages of sin is what? Death. There would be no hope. There would be absolutely no... We, we would live however we wanted to live in life. Because there's absolutely no hope. There's no joy. We would just find it in however we wanted to find it. And you see that in the world around us. You see that in the world around us. Jesus' death... He bore our sins. He went to the grave and then he conquered death by rising again. Sin didn't keep him down. He rose from the dead and conquered our sin. And so we can too. When we ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. He doesn't hold it against us. Wouldn't that be terrible if all the sins that we ever had, everything that we've ever done wrong, every evil thought or frustration or anger or resentment or guilt or greed or lust, anything we ever thought of, God held it against us. And we'd have to make up for that somehow. That'd be horrible. But the fact that he rose again, he died, took it to the grave, rose again. We could celebrate that. Josh McDowell uh, writes a lot of books on evidence. And one of the books he writes is Evidence of the Resurrection. He says, Jesus' resurrection shows that God miraculously offers to forgive anyone who trusts him, no matter what sins they have committed. The resurrection of Christ demonstrated that no sin is too terrible to be forgiven. Even though he took onto his bleeding back every sin that every one of us ever committed, God still resurrected him from the dead. Even the worst of our sins were taken to the grave and left there. Even though we all have done terrible, foul things in life, the empty tomb of Jesus means we are not condemned. We are forgiven. Amen. Everybody needs forgiveness. And when we confess, he's faithful, he's just, and forgives us. So first off, because he rose again, we have our our forgiveness of our sins. That should bring us more hope, more joy than anything else. That's why when we were in, in the Dominican, I think people could just see the hope and joy that we had in our own lives. That's why they wanted it so badly. The world needs that so badly. We are forgiven of our sins. Number two, our faith is well-rounded. It says in 1 Corinthians, we read, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, our faith is futile. Now it's well-rounded. Because we know he did rise, it's well-rounded. Or to put it more personally, here's this. Because of resurrection in Jesus, there's someone we can trust absolutely. Because we serve a living God. So when we're going through trials, when we're going through tough times, we pray, we know he's alive. We know he hears us. Peter must have felt that when he was out on the water. If you remember, he's out on the water and he's sinking. He's going down. The only thing he knows, he's going down. Jesus is up. The only thing he can do is trust him. The only thing he can do is trust him. Some of us are going through so much stuff in life, we feel like we're drowning. We have financial issues. We have marriage issues. We have uh, sickness. We have some big decisions we need to make. We are lost. We're confused. We're frustrated. We have all kinds of stuff. We are drowning. But because of Christ rose again, we serve a living God. That gives us more hope, more peace, more joy. And that's what Matthew talked about last week. The peace of Jesus Christ that he offers. I was talking to somebody a couple a while back who was really struggling with their daughter. Who uh, Their daughter was uh, 
single mom and kept hooking up with every guy just over years and years and years and went from one guy to another to another to another to another. And it was one bad guy to another bad guy to another bad guy. And uh, they came in and they said, Jared, what does she need? Maybe she needs therapy. Maybe she needs more finances. Maybe she needs a better job. Maybe she needs a move. Maybe we need to get her out of here. Maybe we need to we'll change something. What does she need? We're willing to offer anything she needs. I said, she doesn't need any of that. What she needs is Jesus Christ. Because what she's doing is she's trying to, she's alone, she's frustrated, she's trying to find every person she can look to, to for, for, for comfort, for trust. So she goes and she'll give herself to anybody else because she's longing for that. She's longing for trust. She's longing for to, that sense to not feel lonely anymore. I said, you can give her anything, but she's still going to be looking for that. She needs Jesus Christ, who is a solid rock, who loves her unconditionally, who's never going to let her go. That's what she needs. Our faith is well-rounded. We have that faith, church. Tough times come. Christ is there. Not only is our faith well-rounded, not only do we have forgiveness of sins, but we preach what is true. It says, 1 Corinthians 15, if the negative part of that, if Christ didn't rise, our preaching would be useless. What we say here would be absolutely useless. It would be pointless. But because we know he did exactly what he said he was going to do in the scriptures, we know that what he says in the scriptures, how we should live, that's the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. One of the things we're going to do here at the end of this service, we're going to have a congregational meeting about the family guidance building, which is uh, behind, uh, back there, on the other side of the church, big brown building. And uh, one of the things we're going to talk about is the opportunity to bring Silver Ring thing uh, back to our campus uh, as part of the use of that building. Silver Ring thing is a sexual abstinence program that goes around. It's been part of our church for 20 years. Who had moved off our property 20 years ago or 15 years ago because they ran out of room. And I'm honored to be part of that. Worked with them for a number of years. And I had the opportunity to bring them back here. One of the things that Silver Ring does is preaches truth. Preaches truth to a world that doesn't really believe in truth. They, the world believes do whatever you want to do. Live however you want to live. One of the things that is a big problem is uh, premarital sex. Kids engaging in that. And what Silver Anything does is goes in and says, listen, God's word says something else. There's all kinds of repercussions of that. God wants us to live differently. The scriptures say live differently. Set yourself apart. And I remember being on tour with these folks. And, you know, they do about 90 events a year. There's been six, 700,000 people that have heard the message at this point. A couple hundred thousand have come to know Christ because of it. And I remember being out. I didn't share this with the other services. But I remember... Really clearly being out with these college students that were giving up a year of their life to go and preach this truth. And it really didn't make a whole lot of sense. Here you have 12 good-looking people, young adults, from all over the world, on this tour bus that we had, and they still are out there, going around telling everybody, don't have sex. Wait. Wait till you're married. It's crazy. I mean, think about that. And at the end of the night, there's thousands of kids celebrating that decision that they made, that they're going to wait. Meanwhile, the hormones are all raging. They're going, yep, we're going to wait. I go, this is nuts. But it happens every single place they go to. And you go, and I remember being part of that. And there was one that we always had a lot of news folks following us around because of what was happening. They still do. And I remember uh, as one of the leaders there, they came up to me and said, don't you think it's crazy that... That all these people are like celebrating the fact that they're not going to have sex. Like these young people. You think it's crazy? And the only thing I could think of is I said, you know, 
from the repercussions that we can see, the physical reproduction, uh, the repercussions that we can see, as well as what God says in his word of how we should live, don't you think it's crazy not to? That's the thing I can say, because God's word is truth. It's, it, it, it's not their idea. It's not like we, it's not like we said, hey, let's, let's gather up a bunch of good-looking people, and I got an idea. Let's go tell everybody not to, uh, not to have sex. I got, that's a great idea. Let's do this big rally and have a celebration. That wasn't our idea. It's God's word. It's truth. It's truth. We preach what is true. I am the way, the truth, and life. Because God did whatever, everything he said he was going to do. That it, not only did he die, he rose again. We know it's true. So everything in God's word, we are to live our life by. So what we preach is true. Number four and five, we're going to put these together. But we are to be envied. Not to be pitied. And we're not to be false teachers. But we're to be envied. That's the opposite. Because Christ rose again, we're to be envied. We're not crazy. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, people would look at us as crazy people. They would think that we're hallucinating. They would think that I, I was insane standing up here telling you all this. And we come every Sunday and, and sing about it and talk about it. We, we, they would think we're insane. And they would look down at us and go, oh, those poor people. How terrible. They're believing something that's totally a lie. But we're not. We can walk out here, not, not bragging that we know, but we're not to be pitied. People should want what we have, and they should see the joy in our own lives. My question for you is, do people see the joy in your life? Do people see the joy when you go into work, when your families, the hope that you have? Do they see that? Do they want that? Do they envy that? Do they want it? When they look at your life, do they say, I want to have the same thing that person has? When we were in Dominican Republic, that's exactly what they said. They said, I want to have that. The peace that you have, the love that you have, the joy that you have, I want that. Do people see that? say that when they see you? We're to be envied. Because when we get to the end of our lives, we want, we want our lives to count for something, don't we? We want everything that we've done and said to count for something. It'd be so tragic to get to the end of our lives and go, that was a waste. What a waste. We want everything that we do, our faith, the way we live our lives, according to the scriptures, we want it to matter. We want it to mean something. That's why we strive for the way they do. Look at the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. Last verse, says in verse 58, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So Paul goes through all the lists of what the, the importance of the resurrection. and the very end, he says, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Church, I want to get to the end of my life and go, you know, everything I did and said had value. I lived my life, lived the way Christ wanted me to live, and I believed in him, and I had faith. And it had value. It had value. So I'm going to be steadfast, immovable, knowing that the, what we do, the ministry we have, the stuff that we do for the Lord isn't in vain. And finally, because he rose again, those who died believing Christ are alive. That's the joy we have. That we can get to the end of our lives, we go, you know what, I trust in the Lord. I know who he is and I'm going to be with him in heaven. That's the hope that we can have. That there's life beyond this. That's what gets us through life. That's what keeps us in motion knowing, you know what? <laughs> this may be tough around here. We may have some tough times. There may be some, some tragedies that we go through in life. But you know what? It doesn't matter. In the end, it's all going to be wonderful because there's hope after this. This isn't the best life now. The best life now happens after this. That's the hope we have. Because those who die believing him in Christ are alive. Because if he didn't rise from the dead, he didn't conquer death, then we wouldn't either. That's the hope we have. Do you have that hope?
Do you have that hope? Do you have that joy? That knowing that you're going to be with Jesus in heaven. Do you believe in him? Do you believe it this morning, church? As it says, it's not just about saying it, but it's about believing in your heart. It's about believing your heart that Christ was raised from the dead. Do you believe it this morning? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Church, that's the joy we have. That's the hope we have. Not that he died and was buried, but that he rose again as well. So let me ask you to stand with me. Because one of the things that we're going to do here at the end of each of these services is say the creed together. Creeds, as I mentioned, go way back, thousands of years. It's not something we've made up. It's not a Christ church thing. It's not an Anglican thing. It's a foundational thing of what we believe. And I want you to be able to say it with full confidence and assurance. Not just saying it, but believing it. And what they would do in the years, in the history of the early church, they would ask the congregation, what do you believe in? What do you believe in? And this is how they would respond. They would respond by saying this, that we all say together right now. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended into the dead, and on the third day he rose again. Stop. Did you get it? Do you believe it, church? Do you believe it? Amen. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I believe in church. I hope you do too. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Father, thank you for what you teach us in your word. I thank you for the fact that when you sent your son to die, that he not only died, but rose again, conquered death, conquered the grave. Father, I pray that you be with each and every person here, maybe who is in need of a second chance, maybe who, like Peter, has been denying you their whole life, who's been saying this but really don't believe it. And today's the day they realize, you know what? I need to believe it. I need to believe it in my heart. I pray that you convict them now, Father. I pray that you work them. I pray that they realize it's just a simple prayer. A prayer that says, Lord Jesus, I understand that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Thank you for coming and dying for me. Thank you for taking my sin to the grave and then rising again and conquering death. Thank you for doing everything that you said you were going to do. Thank you that I, have a, I, I serve a living God, a breathing God. Thank you that what we say, Lord, is of value. What we preach is of value, that our faith is real because you are real. We thank you for that. Be with us. I pray that you impress that upon us as we leave this place. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.